Now we're going to read from the Scriptures. We're turning to the book of Proverbs. Now normally we would be singing a hymn, but as you're conscious that we're in a new situation, and because of the restrictions, we have to have limited singing. Uh, so therefore, we have dispensed with the second hymn that we would normally have. So we'll go straight to the Bible reading. Uh, Pro- Proverbs chapter 16. And we're going to read together the first 20 verses. Proverbs chapter 16. Let's hear the word of the Lord. Follow with me in your Bible. And for those online, the words will also come up on the screen. Proverbs 16, verse 1. Let's hear the word of the Lord, reading, of course, from the authorized version. The preparations of the heart in man and the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. All the ways of a man are clean in his own eyes. But the Lord weigheth the spirits. Commit thy works unto the Lord, and thy thoughts shall be established. The Lord hath made all things for himself, yea, even the wicked for the day of evil. Every one that is proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Though hand join in hand, he shall not be unpunished. By mercy and truth iniquity is purged. And by the fear of the Lord, men depart from evil. When a man's ways please the Lord, he maketh even his enemies to be at peace with him. Better is a little with righteousness than great revenues without right. A man's heart deviseth his way, but the Lord directeth his steps. A divine sentence is in the lips of the king. His mouth transgresseth not in judgment. A just weight and balance are the Lord's. All the weights of the bag are his work. It is an abomination to kings to commit wickedness. For the throne is established by righteousness. Righteous lips are the delight of kings. And they love him that speaketh right. The wrath of a king is as messengers of death. But a wise man will pacify it. In the light of the king's countenance is life, and his favor is as a cloud of the latter rain. How much better it is to get wisdom than gold, and to get understanding rather to be chosen than silver. The highway of the upright is to depart from evil. He that keepeth his way preserveth his soul. Pride goeth before destruction, and a haughty spirit before a fall. Better it is to be of a humble spirit with the lowly than to divide the spoil with the proud. He that handleth the matter wisely shall find good, and whoso trusteth in the Lord, happy is he. Amen. And the Lord will stamp with his own approval and blessing this reading of the Holy Scriptures. 
Now, my text this morning is taken from Proverbs chapter 16, verse 17. It reads as follows, The highway of the upright is to depart from evil. He that keepeth his way preserveth his soul. So there's the text for this morning. Proverbs 16, verse 17. Here's the theme considering the highway of the upright. Now, this past week, even though I've been busy doing many other things, I was thinking of the word highway. And I was pondering that in this month of August, wouldn't it be lovely to have the time and the money and, of course, have ease of travel to visit some of the world's most beautiful highways. I was thinking of the Milford Road in New Zealand, winding its way through Fyord National Park. And, of course, there you will find and discover jaw-dropping scenery all along the 144-mile route, lush rainforests, crystal blue lakes, waterfalls. Or what about scenic Highway 12 in Utah, United States of America? It curves 124 miles through the rugged landscape of southern western Utah. Or what about the overseas highways in Florida? I was meant to be there this month. In fact, I was meant to be preaching in Florida today. The overseas highway in Florida was built in the 1930s following an obsolete railway track that once crossed the the Florida Keys. And of course, as you drive along the 113-mile highway, you get a magnificent view of the turquoise uh, water that all surrounds them. You might also want to consider the Atlantic Roadway in Norway, Or you might want to consider the 185-mile Cabot Trail in Canada that curls around the northern tip of Cape Brenton in Nova Scotia. Or you might want to consider the Great Ocean Road in Australia that runs from Torquay uh, to uh, Warrnambool in the state of Victoria. Again, breathtaking coastal views. Now, these are just some of the world's most famous highways. And wouldn't it be lovely to be there? There's others in France, the United States uh, of America. There's others in the United Arab Emirates. There's some in Italy. There's some in Argentina. And you see, that got me thinking, thinking that I was meant to be in Florida, thinking that I could have been driving down uh, that overseas highway there, Uh, I was thinking of the word highways. And then I thought, well, I wonder how many times it's mentioned in the Bible. And I discovered through Bible Gateway that it's mentioned 25 times. And my attention was brought to this text of Scripture. Solomon says, The highway of the upright is to depart from evil. He that keepeth his way preserveth his soul. And I thought of Solomon's familiarity with the ancient highways of the ancient world. And of course, Solomon was using the word highways as a metaphor for the people of God living out the whole of the Christian life. Remember, Solomon wrote these proverbs when he was in the middle of his life. He wrote them under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. They're not just nice witty sayings. 
they're not just nice poetic statements or words. Remember, these Proverbs, all 31 chapters, what are they? If I could put it this way, they're laws from heaven for life and earth. Every proverb is a law from heaven because it's given under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and it's to govern our life in its totality on this earth. You see, every proverb is self-contained. So there's a self-contained sermon in every one of them and some people have attempted to preach a sermon on every one of these proverbs. That would be a feat that would take three or four maybe even five years. The wonderful thing about the Proverbs is you don't really have to consider the verse before it. You don't really have to consider the verse after it. Almost every verse is self-contained. That is, it stands by itself. And this is especially true of Proverbs 16, verse 17. Here's Solomon, guided by the Holy Spirit. And what does he state for us to think about He speaks of the highway of the upright. And I have no doubt he was thinking of its entrance. I have no doubt he was thinking of what the highway is in essence. I have no doubt he was thinking of its expectations. I have no doubt he was thinking of its encouragements. Because there's a difference between being on the highway and being on a little bypath. And that's what I want us to think about today. The highway of the upright. Now think of firstly of the declaration of the highway. If you look at the text, it says the highway of the upright. We'll just pause there. I, I want you to think of the words the highway. And I want you to think of the entrance to the highway. See, let's remember the scripture is full of metaphors and similes about the Christian life. And one such metaphor is to compare the Christian life to a journey, to to a pilgrimage. And of course, every journey has a starting point. It has an end point. Surely the most famous that we could think about is John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress, first published in 1688. And there, young people, you've got the biblical journey of a man who lives in the city of destruction, who's got a burden on his back, a burden of sin, and he wants to be rid of his burden, and he meets a man called Evangelist, and he tells him where to start. And, and therefore, at the cross, he starts out in a pilgrimage to get to the celestial city. You see, the wonderful thing about the highways, ancient highways, modern-day highways, world highways that I mentioned, the wonderful thing about them is they all have a starting point. And if you were to go to these highways, you'll see a signpost, and it mentions their name. And it also mentions the length of the route, and it says you're now starting on, say, for example, it's the overseas highway in Florida. You see, it all has a starting point. And Solomon knew that in the ancient world, many of these old highways, east to west, north to south, did you know they all started with a toll booth, a toll bridge? You had to pay a price. You could go on the bypath and take your chances. Or you could go on the highway. But to get on the highway, you had to pay a fare. There had to be a payment to enter the highway. Now, isn't that true in the Christian life? 
But the wonderful message is that to start the Christian life, the toll price has been paid. And the price, of course, is none other than the blood of Jesus Christ. And the Christian life really starts at the cross. Just as there's only one way to enter many of these world highways, surely there's only one way to enter the highway of the upright. And that is to start with Jesus Christ. Recognizing your sin, repenting of it, and receiving Christ as your Lord and Savior. Remember, there's only one way whereby you may enter this highway of the upright. And that is through faith in Jesus Christ alone as Lord and Savior. So I ask this morning to all our listeners, do you know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? Have you discovered the fact that Acts 4 and 12 says, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby you must be saved. I love that little children's chorus. There's a way back to God from the dark paths of sin. There's a door that is open that all may go in. At Calvary's cross is where you begin when you come as a sinner to Jesus. Let me ask, have you knelt at the cross before God? Have you knelt there because you've been broken by a sense of sin? And because of your brokenness of sin, you've bent the knee before the Lord and you've said, Lord, I've nothing to boast of. Lord, I am nothing. I have nothing. I can do nothing to recommend me to you. Lord, I'm only a sinner and I ask to be saved. Oh, that we would discover this morning that Jesus Christ is the only way to enter the highway of the upright. In fact, I would go further in saying that Jesus Christ is the only way to a life of holiness. See, many today want to get to heaven. But I want to tell you, you'll never be able to get to heaven or never able even to live a, a holy life before God until you enter at the door of the cross and the blood of Christ is applied. What does the cross really mean to you this morning? If you intend to travel in this highway, then as I've said, you must first of all kneel at the cross. Remember what we read in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 14. Paul said, but God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me, and I unto the world. One of our students was down in Lisburn one time, I think he was giving out some gospel tracts and trying to interact with some of the young people that was in the streets. And he met a couple of young people, I think he'd been to school with them, I think he had been working in a factory alongside them, and they started to have a conversation. They were asking me all sorts of questions, heaven, hell, the Bible, Jesus Christ, um, other things to do with the doctrine of salvation. One of those young men, well, he was there in biker gear, and he had nose piercing, and he had ear piercing, and he had a, quite a number of tattoos. And, and this is what he said. He said, I'm going to get a tattoo of the cross across my back from the bottom of my spine up to my shoulders and then right across to, to both shoulders left to right. What do you think of that? And the young student, he said to them, well, let me ask you, what does the cross mean to you? You see, many want to wear the symbol of the cross. They want to even make it the sign of the cross. 
but sadly they do not know what it means. And at the essence of what it means is to glory, not in its wood, but in the work of the cross. Glory so much that you kneel before it, broken and bent because of sin, and and be willing to repent of that sin and receive Christ as Lord and Savior. You see, those that refused to pay the fare in the ancient toll could not access this highway. And what is true literally and physically has to be true spiritually. The highway of the upright is closed to all who but come via the cross. Only the redeemed are upon it. If you turn over there to the book of Isaiah, Isaiah verse 35, it says in verse 8, And a highway shall be there. And a way, and it shall be called the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it, but it shall be for those, the wafering men, no fool shall not err therein. No lion shall be there, nor any ravenous beast shall go up thereon. It shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there. You see, it's for the redeemed. Can you say this morning, I have been redeemed because I've knelt at the cross? I've recognized my sin, I've repented of it, I've received Christ. See, when you think about the declaration of the highway, you've got to think about its entrance, the highway. There's a starting point. But I want you to think also, think of its establishment. See, when I think of the world highways, you can go into every detail of the world highways if you do a Google search. Directions can be given. Signposts can be looked at. You can follow it in a map. You, you, can, you can drive on this highway. You, you can select the route that you want to go. But suppose somebody said in their head, you know what, I, I really don't like this highway. I'm going to get some earth-moving equipment. I'm going to get a big shovel and get a driver. Hopefully he'll have a license. And I'm going to get some road-building material. And I'm going to change the route. I'm going to do away with the entrance. I'm going to make a new part to this highway. In effect, what would that person be attempting to do? They'd be attempting to build their own highway. And would that be allowed? Would the powers that be allow that to happen? And the answer is no. There would be an outcry. The man would be arrested. He'd be put in jail. He'd be brought before the courts and rightly tried. But I want to tell you this morning the establishment of the highway of the upright. Its creator and maker is God. And we have got to abide by the highway that's made. And you can't have a country spirit. You can't have a different attitude and mindset because the principles that apply to the earthly road apply to the spiritual road. And in Malachi 3 and 6, we read, I am the Lord, I change not. And in Hebrews 13, we read in verse 8, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. And it was the psalmist said in Psalm 119, verse 89, Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. And if you recall what we were preaching from last week in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Remember what we read there in the verse 11. 
a wonderful statement for other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. And the great principles that apply to the earthly road that men just couldn't change the route if they wanted to, because only the higher authority and power, they have the right and the means to change it. It also applies to biblical truth. The highway of the upright cannot be changed. It can't be altered. It can't be set aside until its maker, who is God himself, decides to change it. And of course, it won't be changed because it's connected to his unchangeability. It's connected to his infallible inerrant word. There's the establishment of the highway of the upright. Notice, secondly, not only the declaration of the uh, highway, but notice the description of the highway. If you go back to our text, how is it described? It's described in this way. The highway of the upright is to depart from evil. You see, the word upright there, young people, it, it refers to the righteous man or woman. It refers to the justified ones. It refers to the redeemed ones. It refers to the holy ones. It could easily be called uh, the um, highway of the holy or the highway of the just or the highway of the upright or, or the highway of the redeemed. You see, it's a reference to one's moral character. It's not the highway of the covetous. It's not the highway of the Christless or the careless. No, it's the highway of the upright. And it's described by various names in the Bible. I've already given you one of them, Isaiah 35, verse 8. It's called the way of holiness. In Proverbs chapter 9, verse 6, it's described as uh, the way of understanding. Forsake the foolish and live and go in the way of understanding. Is described in Proverbs 8, verse 20, as the way of righteousness. I lead, Solomon says, or walk in the way of righteousness. Is described in Psalm 119, verse 30, as the way of truth. And also in Proverbs chapter 10, verse 17, it's described as the way of life. He is in the way of life that keepeth instruction. But it's all picturing the same highway, the highway of the upright, the highway of the holy, the highway of understanding, the highway of righteousness, the highway of truth, the highway of life. It's all a, a euphemism for knowing that Jesus Christ is not only your Lord and Savior, but that you're following after him by faith. In other words, you're faithfully following him. You're, you're wholeheartedly following him. You're, you're unconditionally following him. You're, you're sacrificially following him. You're joyfully following him. You're believingly following him unto the life's end. See, let's remember that the Christian life is not just a decision to trust Christ. It begins with Christ, but it also continues with Christ. And it ends with Christ. You've got to think not only of the starting, but the continuation and the end. You see, many, of course, today make a profession. They claim to have knelt at the cross. They claim to have started out for heaven and home. But where's the evidence of a life of holiness? 
of understanding the things of God? Where's their desire for righteousness? Where's their longing and passion for the way of truth? Where's their desire for the way of life? Eternal and abundant life in God? Isn't it sad today that while many have made a profession, a childhood profession, but they have no desire to live for Jesus Christ, they have no desire for holiness, they have no desire to shun sin and evil. The text says the highway of the upright is to depart from evil. So there has to be a initial repentance. But there has to be a continual repentance in the Christian life. The, the Christian life, the child of God, will mourn and hate his sin. There will be a, a, a continual sight of sin. There will be a, a, a sorrow for sin, a, a shame for sin, a, a hatred for sin, a, a turning from the sin to the Lord and, and pleading the blood. 1 John 1 and 7 says the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. And remember, only the blood can make us continually clean. I have to confess that in those times when I'm enabled to get alone with God, whether here or at the kitchen table, and that's where I do most of my thinking and studying at the kitchen table, I think of those times. I think of the war that goes on in my heart and mind, my thoughts, my words, my deeds. Remember Galatians 5, 17 talks about a continual warfare, the flesh lusting against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And, and you know, our battle is not really with the world out there, although that's a real battle. But the biggest battle is a world of sin living within us. And what's the only proof that we're really born again and applied the, the blood of Christ? Is it not that we have a hatred for sin and a love for righteousness? And we've got an aspiration towards a holy life. And we rejoice that sin's penalty has been paid for and sin's power has been broken in our life. And, and the love of sinning is taken out from our hearts. Do you know, isn't this unpopular today? Don't people tell us, but you're out of touch, you're out of reality. You're living in the dark ages, Reverend McLaughlin. This aspiration for a holy life, it's not necessary. It's not appreciated. It's not attractive. It's not palatable anymore. You boys are full of pride. You have a holier-than-thou attitude, a better-than-me attitude. Could I direct you this morning to Romans chapter 12? Look with me at Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. We, we did preach in verse 2 on one occasion. For those that are listening online who haven't heard that sermon, we encourage you to do that. But listen to verse 1 and verse 2 together. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. That means that's the least that you could do. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. See, it was the great Robert Murray McShane that said, A holy man or a holy woman is a powerful weapon in the hands of a holy God. You see, a person who's saved 
will want to seek a way to please God. He'd want to reflect something of the moral character of God. See, see, let's remember if we're saved this morning and living for the Lord, we're continually preaching a sermon to all in our family and all around us. Andrew Bonner, he took his wife to St. Peter's Church where Robert Mary McShane was preaching. She sat at the back. And she heard the great man of God preach a powerful gospel service. And at the end, her heart was touched. She confessed her sin. She received Christ and became an ardent follower of the Lord. So at home, of course, Andrew Bonner asked his wife, well, what was it, dear, that, that first spoke to you? Was it his preaching? Was it his prayer? It was the singing, dear. I, I know, I, I get blessed by the singing as well. No, it was none of those things, husband. What was it? If it wasn't his preaching, the singing, and the praying, what else was it? She says, it was the countenance of the man's face. I looked at and listened to that man, and that man was beaming a personal holiness with God. Do you know all of us this morning have an influence? And if we have a lifestyle that loves God and lives for him and is loyal to him and is a longing for him, and, and, and we will testify then of the reality of Christ. Isn't this what Peter dealt with in 1 Peter uh, chapter 3? He said this, Likewise, you wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, that is, they're not saved, they also may without the word, that is, without preaching at them, be one, how? By the conversation, the word conversation there in verse 1 of 1 Peter chapter 3 means manner of living, lifestyle of the wise, while they behold your chaste conversation coupled with fear. You see, isn't it sad today that many can look in the life of a Christian, that they can listen to them? But they see little that testifies of the reality of Christ. They don't see the love and they don't see a person living and loyal to and longing for Christ. Wasn't it Paul that said there in Romans chapter 2 and in the verse 24, he was cast out, chasing certain Jews. And this is what he said to them in Romans 2 and verse 24. For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles through you. Think of that. For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles through you, as it is written. In other words, they're blaspheming God because of your lifestyle. And your lifestyle is doing damage to the cause of Christ. You see, a lack of holy living betrays where's one's at in their spiritual experience. It really means they're devoid of understanding. There's no evidence really of right living. They're living contrary to the truth. They're living contrary to the way of life. It's found alone in the scripture. See, the word of God, remember, reflects Jesus Christ himself, the word made flesh. Thy word, the psalmist said, is a lamp unto my feet and a light 
unto my path. And we're living epistles, read and known of all men. Here's the description of the upright. And, and one final thing. I want you to think of the direction of the highway. Um, you see, the, 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 the highway is the way of privilege. And what a wonderful thing it is in life's journey to know that the Lord is with us. That in this journey we're not alone. We have one who comes alongside and says the Lord is at hand. And he gives us provision for the journey. Surely we could say it's not only the way of privilege and the way of provision, but we could also say it's the way of peace. We have already read there in Isaiah 35, no lion shall be there, nor any ravenous beast shall go up thereon. You know that you can journey safely in this ancient highway. Solomon was saying the highway of the upright because there's no lion going to attack you, no ravenous beast there will come along your way. So, so you can have peace as you journey. As you journey through life, you're well aware of many dark providences, things that you can't understand. Bereavement comes, sickness, serious disease, financial troubles, marital problems and woes, discouragement. You think of the big problem today of, of depression among many of God's people. And, and you add into the mix the loss of job. And, and you add into the mix turmoil and trouble in many homes. It was Thomas Manton that said, he that is on a journey to heaven must be ready for all weathers. You can first set out with sunshine. And then a huge storm can overtake you before you reach the journey's end. And I was thinking the other day just of those that were out uh, last Sunday afternoon, somewhere in Hillsborough Forest, I was speaking to some, and they had just set out in their car, and they had gone a short journey, and then all of a sudden the clouds burst open, and there was a big downpour, and people got drenched before they got back to their car. See, see, isn't that a picture of life? Ready for all weathers. And yet in this highway, even though you can be ready for all weathers, and you acknowledge that dark providences and dark periods can come. The Bible says when a man's ways please the Lord, even his enemies will be at peace with him. You think of perfect peace this morning. I'm thinking of a story that I heard about judges that were picking out a particular art piece. And they come to this scene somewhere in the highlands of Scotland, this beautiful valley. I don't know the name of it, but uh, this valley had in the center a very uh, a wonderful pool of water. And the surface was like glass. There wasn't even a ripple. And of course, the, the, the heather was all around it. And it was a blue sky. And there was a few cattle uh, resting in, in some pasture. And the judges were all looking at this. And of course, the artist had did a perfect work. It was beautiful to look upon. And they were saying, there's a picture of stillness. See, they were thinking of stillness. That We think of peace. We think of being still. And they were saying, well, this ought to, to win the prize. Now, one of the older judges there, uh, no disrespect to the man here, a white-haired man who, who ought to be listened to. And um, he said, brethren, that doesn't 
speak to me of stillness. That speaks to me of stagnation. So they moved along then, and they come to this other art piece, and this artist, he had drawn a cliff face with a huge waterfall going over it and a tree hanging out of the cliff. And in one of the branches of the tree, he had a sparrow's nest. And there was visible to see to the nest that there was little young sparrows there. And it was as if they, the, the mother was looking after her young. And he said to them, here's the picture of stillness. If you're looking for perfect peace, think of the roar of this waterfall. And here's this tree that could be broken off this cliff face and swept down to, to the bottom of the ravine at any second. And here's this sparrow that has built her nest and she's content enough to make it her home and she's feeding her young there. I put it to you, this old white-haired judge said, that's the better picture of perfect peace. And doesn't the scripture say that I will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed in thee, because he trusteth in thee. And when we're in the way of his presence with us, and we count it a privilege to be beside him, to know that he is with us, and we have his provision, then, then here's one of the ways we'll have his peace. Perfect peace. Peace that passes all understanding. Peace that speaks of safety, certainty, and enjoyment. In the midst of all the circumstances around us, maybe you're going through dark and difficult circumstances right now. Maybe there's a difficult period in your life and, and you're in turmoil. Could I urge you that you can have this perfect peace, peace that will keep your mind no matter what you're going through. It's not only the way of privilege and the way of provision and the way of peace, but it's the way of progress. You think of a highway, I've mentioned some of the world's highways, the length of them, some are well over 100 miles. The, the, the Cabot Trail in Canada, 185 miles. Wouldn't that be a wonderful journey to take? You see, the highway leads on and on and on and on. Hills and valleys, twists and turns, stops and starts. Mightn't be an easy road. Can be hard going. But the traveler has to keep going. David Livingston was asked for his autobiography and he told them, Tell them I was God's plotter, plodding through the muck and the mire. When Duncan Campbell uh, first arrived, I believe it was in Stornoway, he was going there for a two-week gospel mission, and he was getting out at, is it, at Barvis, uh, and he was getting off the boat, and he was met by some deacons, uh, and these were godly deacons. These were men who were walking with the Lord. You know what one of them asked, the Reverend Campbell? They, they remember, he's a preacher. And they're deacons. And you know what they asked them? Mr. Campbell, are you walking with God? That's the first thing. It wasn't a low, Mr. Campbell, great to see you. Did you have a nice journey? Mr. Campbell, are you walking with God? You see, they were expecting God to come to the Isles of Scotland and do a work. You know what Campbell said? And I've read this. He didn't answer the question. He didn't say, oh, yes, boys. I was in the wee prayer closet this morning and got full of the Holy Ghost power and I've come to do a mighty work in Scotland for God. You know what he said? The most I could say, I fear God. That was how he answered. 
What humility. He was conscious that the will of God for him was a life of sanctification and holiness and consecration to God. Let me wrap this up this morning. It's not only the way of privilege and the way of provision and the way of peace and the way of progress, but it's the way of preservation. If you look at our text, it says, He that keepeth his way preserveth his soul. You see, it's about the preservation of our soul. We have a responsibility to, to walk in this highway and to keep our, 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 ourselves clean and to keep short accounts with God. Therefore, we need to be sensitive to sin. Sensitive to, to God's plan and purpose who has chosen us in Christ that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. And it's the way to paradise. Because just as the highway has a starting point, it has an end point. If I think of that overseas highways in Florida, thinking of the sign at the start, there's a sign at the end. You've now reached the end of the overseas highway in Florida. 113 miles. At the end of the Christian life, where does it lead to? Well, think of Pilgrim's Progress again, the celestial city. That was the end destination for the pilgrim. He had his eye in heaven. He had his eye in home. He was thinking of that place of the rest. He was thinking of bliss of the child of God. See, I want you to think of the direction in the highway. Can you rejoice today that the Lord is with you? That you have his provision? That you have his peace? And you're making progress and your soul's being preserved and kept. You're kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation. And you're going to be kept all the way to, to glory. I end with this text of scripture. It's a Scripture that's precious to my own heart. And over there in Timothy, we read in 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 12. Timothy says, For which cause I also suffer these things, nevertheless I'm not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I'm persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. The day of entering into glory and hearing well done, good and faith servant. May the Lord bless his word to your hearts this morning.